Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 5 today. Third time's the charm. Uh, David's anointed again. And uh, we might want to talk about what exactly is the significance of all this uh, anointing. But yes, uh, it seems like in this chapter he's finally anointed king and begins to actually rule as king over all of Israel and Judah. So the thing that he was set apart for originally, oh, so many chapters ago, <laughs> like uh, almost 20 chapters ago. So a uh, very, very big chapter. In a lot of ways, you can see that all the things that have happened in the first four chapters of Second Samuel have just been kind of leading up to this. Um, now with all the other opponents who would prevent him from finally having this, uh, that, that they've been dealt with, he now ascends uh, to the throne. Some interesting things in this chapter to be talking about today. Joining us, we have as our guest, Pastor Brady Finern, pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Brother, I, I hope I said all of that right. I, I had a moment <laughs> of doubt there. Uh, good morning. How are you? Uh, I I am I'm very blessed. Thank you very much. You uh, got my name, uh, Finnern. It is that, but usually it's say Finnern. Um, the emphasis doesn't have to be on the ends there. Um, okay. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's on and, the and first syllable. I, okay. It, there you go. It's a lot exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, Brady yeah. Finnern. Yeah. And then uh, in Sartell, you got that right. So and it's, okay. Huzzah. You know, we're in this area of the world where um, we're getting 12, 13 inches of snow in October. Even for oh, us, buddy. that's crazy. Even for us, that's crazy. Wow. So that's, yeah, I'm, I'm fighting it, and being in God's Word this morning sure is helpful to uh, take one step at a time. So Lord have mercy. Yeah, Lord have <laughs> Man, that's intense. That's intense. You have to, like, do, like, snowmobiles for, for trick-or-treating. I mean, not that anyone's trick-or-treating. I, oh, that's a whole other thing, right? But, okay, we're not oh, going to get there. No. We're not, we're not, no. getting, not getting into that. Not getting into that. But anyway, good to, good to have you back. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, 2 Samuel chapter 5. Um, I, I like that, again, like, it, it's kind of one of these— uh, well, I mean— it's a it's a, it's a neat chapter. It's one of these like kind of big pivotal moments. Uh, but it, it's kind of a, it's kind of another big one though. Um, fair bit of action here. Um, I don't know any any kind of like Im- impressions just before we get into it on on the chapter as a whole. Well, I would say you know overall I have four different things I want to highlight as we look at chapter five. And this, and I've been listening to a number of your uh, um, shows here going through first and second Samuel. And I'll just say that to look at first and second Samuel is a lot of fun um, because you look at it. And if you filter it correctly, it really is a lot of fun. If you don't look at it correctly, boy, it really is a downer. So first of all, that yeah. when you look at first and second Samuel it has so many connections throughout the scriptures. And we know this naturally just when you read it, but you look at it, especially starting here at chapter five, you have tons of direct correlations in First Chronicles, and, mm. and that's really fun because it, it instead of it looking at it and go, why is that different? It almost opens it up even more. You know, um, you know, Dr. Veltz talked about you know learning Greek and it going from um, a black and white TV to a color TV kind of thing when you <laughs> go from English to Greek and those kind of things. And I really feel that when reading this and going back and forth and seeing the little bit of differences, but also just unveiling or peeling back even more of the riches that are there. So that's really been fun 
looking at first Samuel or second Samuel chapter five and the rest of it too. And secondly is it, it goes back to um, when, when they were looking for a king. I mean, first Samuel eight, they, they demand a king and they go for the, the best looking one. And you, you've been through all this, but it, it just, it, it's a great reminder for us as we look at David finally being anointed king that um, where are our eyes goes back to Hebrews 12 um, fix our eyes on Jesus is our eyes on the king or our eyes on the king of kings and now we see kind of that beginning of them looking to the Lord and David showing that example which is very good for us as we look at the election season and and how difficult it can be of where our eyes to look not only that, but COVID, and here in Minnesota, 12 inches of snow, it's hard to know where to look for hope. Yeah. And here we see some examples from David, which is really fun um, to look at and to realize where that all connects. And then in the same token, there's so much leading up to this, and you and Pastor Fleming did such a great job of, of talking about the murder in Chapter 4 <laughs> and pointing us back, but all of it points us back to this understanding of if you read all of this, and you just read it as God kind of, you know, like, oh, I'm going to destroy that one, and I'm going to get rid of that one, and this one's going to die, and there's going to be a head on a platter and all this stuff, all this bloodshed. If we separate it from looking to the King of Kings and the blood that was shed for us, that all of this leads up to the understanding of we will have a Messiah that will shed his blood for us. It all, I mean, if you don't have that, it just looks like a, like a terroristic understanding of the Old Testament, but when it all leads, point us back to Christ, as it says in Hebrews 9, shed, um, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. If it doesn't point us back to Jesus, it really can be a, um, a, a Debbie Downer, I always try to say. But when it points us back yeah. to the King of Kings, we're able to see hope. So those are the things I really want to focus on as we look at this, and that's what makes it really a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, I, I, I think I think I agree with a lot of your, what you were saying right there, especially that. Well, you, you know, it's just so easy, I think, as, as you were saying, to kind of, I guess, turn this all into like a tragedy or something, you know, and especially because, you know, when you when you keep going and you get into to Second Kings um towards the end there it's like okay well we just kind of we watch everything just crumble to pieces right like everything that you know god did through david like was it all for not right um and, and it's very easy to read kind of the whole thing as a tragedy to read saul as a tragedy right to read i mean even david is a tragedy you know because like things are going to go bad with him but um but to, to see it rather instead as hey you know what like uh, of course you know anything that we have as humans is going to fail, is going to fade, is going to crumble, right? Like n none of it lasts forever, but that mm -hmm. while um, it's being used for God's purposes, God does lots of good through it. Um, and, and, mm -hmm. and that the, in these moments here, right, you do have this light that shines through it. Um, and, and right here, we are just seeing this light shine through David. Yeah, it, you don't you don't have to read it that way at all. And um, like you were saying, that light does point you to Christ. I mean, even in the last chapter, I think there's probably more that could be said there. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. no, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that's a, that'll be a good framework for us looking at the chapter today. Well, uh, let's go ahead and turn to the text. As we do so, would you start us out with a prayer? Yes, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we are once again pointed back to your word, for your word is truth, and your word is living and active. 
sharper than any two-edged sword. As we go back to your word, um, continually strengthen us as we look uh, to what you uh, were doing then and what that means for us today and filtering it all through the cross of Jesus. Bless us especially as we look to David as a type of Christ as he takes over Israel, that this is a reminder for us of where to keep our eyes centered on you in all things. May your Holy Spirit enter us this day as we are guided by your word. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so looking at chapter 5 now, um, so we, we have a, uh, a form at the beginning of the, of the chapter that's just kind of, and then, then this, this is the very next thing, right? So it's just kind of following right on the heels of, of chapter 4, um, and the last thing that happened in chapter 4, we saw that the head of Ishbosheth, which is, you know, all that David is given, right, um, by the mm-hmm. Barothites, um, and, and he buries it in the tomb of Abner at, at Hebron, um, which is, you know, his capital in the south for right now, because we don't, we don't have Jerusalem yet. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think speaking of uh, Christological types, um, we talked about that a little bit, but um, I, we really couldn't squeeze in too much at the end. But I, I think it really is remarkable that, you know, there's there's Ishbosheth who, I don't know, by, by all accounts, does not seem to be that impressive, that noble. I mean, certainly not as noble as Abner. Um, but yet, you know, that's that's how David treats him. You know, he treats him with uh, this respect. He elevates him. And, uh, and actually... Uh, uh, Pastor Fleming mentioned this too. Like he calls him, he calls him righteous, which probably is a, probably an overtranslation. Probably just means innocent in this context, right? But mm-hmm. the fact that David like treats Ishbosheth, um, you know Saul's son, as innocent in all of this and and honors him, I think that that is a way that like David really is functioning as a, a type of Christ here. That mm. yeah, in, in the same way that uh, we see in Christ how Christ. He prays for his enemies, and then because of his gracious action, he treats his enemies, and in fact, he, by justification, actually makes his enemies innocent. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like, I, I, I see the big theme in, in chapter 4, kind of coming into chapter 5 as we read today. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, all I can say is amen to that. I mean, I'm kind of glad you didn't bring up some of the other things that came up <laughs> in verse 12. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, holy moly, you know, you guys handled it great, but boy. But yeah, the type of Christ, it leads us to understanding of what kind of king he would be in chapter 5. And, uh, yeah. and that's what makes it very powerful when we finally see that come to fruition. Do you, do you have anything about, like, the other details in <laughs> verse 12? That, yeah, no, I have you, nothing that, else. No, I, okay, okay. I have no desire to cover that more. You know? Okay, okay, good. <laughs> good. Okay, okay. We'll just go ahead and read chapter 5 then. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so we'll, we'll read the chapter as a whole. Uh, maybe we can take a couple more broad reflections, and then we can start looking at some of the uh, details at the beginning. So here's chapter okay. 5 in the English Standard Version from the top. Then... All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. 
At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the, the, blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold at Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built this city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons, who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishema, Eliada, and Eliphelet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord had commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So, uh, you know, th this... Uh, kind of compared to everything so far in Second Samuel, <laughs> uh, it seems to be kind of the most like optimistic up and up chapter, right? <laughs> uh, like everything in Second Samuel so far, right? It's just been like you know. And then there was this guy who got assassinated, and David was mourning, and there was a funeral, right? And like, but I mean, like, it's just, it's just you're kind of like almost waiting for something to go wrong, right? But but like nothing goes wrong in this chapter, right? I mean, well. Nothing goes wrong. Like nothing, nothing, no disaster occurs, though. I mean, I right. think we all start squirming more when we have that description in the middle about all the extra wives and concubines. But um, <laughs> yeah, pr pretty, 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 I don't know, up, uplifting, we'll say so far for Second Samuel. What, 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 I don't know. What impressions here? Chapter five. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a few things that are um, really quite striking is that, first of all, in the beginning of chapter five, um, you have all the tribes of Israel come together. And that, to me, it just sounds like that'd be a lot of people, that they all come yeah. together um, with David, and they say, behold, we are bone, your bone and flesh. 
Yeah. You see this community aspect to this. And I, and I think about this with, um, uh, that they had known that they, they wanted a King and they quote needed a King in their eyes, at least. And now it's coming together. You know, it's coming together. This is happening. And so it's like a, the the band is coming back together, you know? (laughs) Um, and so, and, and it relates in this way that, um, when we think of the church, that that we come together as God's people, and we're like, all right, we're back. And this was, this is you know this has been vital during COVID because yeah. uh, this is a time where we weren't able to be back together. So I I really anticipate looking through this that there is a there's a deep joy, a sense of joy for everybody when they got back together, because now we're back. Um, we are are. Um, we're united in this, we're united in the Lord, you know, they talk about uh, the lineage, but there's also they're united in the Lord. And they also bring it back to saying that um, we know when Saul was there and, and all this, da, 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 but you are the shepherd. And this brings us back to 1 Samuel 13, where it talks about there'll be a shepherd, goes back to Numbers 27, Psalm 78 where they, they understood what the scriptures were saying. I mean, they understood that this was all going to come back together and that David was going to be the one. Now, clearly, that could be problematic because he's not the one, but they are seeing the connections that come and how God is being faithful to his promises. And every, that, that, like you said, there's not a lot of um, um, major, you know, there's not murder, there's not bloodshed, there's not the same kind of like, you know, back and forth that you see throughout. But yeah. I do I do sense that great joy of the people seeing, you know what, this is proof again that God is with us, which they needed then and we need today. Yeah, you know, it it is like this moment of, um, I mean, yeah, definitely of celebration. And I think you get that in the language too. I mean, the, uh, you know, it's a striking phrase at the beginning, like as you said, you know, we are your bone and flesh. I mean, that that pair that combination right that's what um adam said of eve right um mm. which was also a moment of celebration right i mean like finally like, whoa okay you know all the animals okay yeah they were they were good helpers they were good not 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 dissing your creation god but this you've outdone yourself right you know like uh and so that that celebration right and that um i mean and i think that you're right like it's like it's yeah it's talking about shared lineage but you know, like you were saying, it's getting at this. Uh, well, you know, it reminds me of the comment about um, Jonathan and David, right? Like after mm-hmm. David killed Goliath, right? And you get that comment and, you know, no one knows how to translate it exactly. But I mean, I, I want to translate it as something like, you know, um, like, like like Jonathan's life was like um, bound up with, with David's or something like this, right? Like, I mean, in that moment where David risked his life and saved Jonathan and Saul, you know, that, that, that makes a connection. And, and I think that they're acknowledging that. And when they say, when they say you're, you know, we're, we're your bone and flesh, I mean, it, it's getting to that comment there. It was you who led out and brought in Israel. That's just saying it was you who led us out into battle and brought us back with spoil and victory, you know, and with our lives, right? I mean, you were the one who did that. You were the one who was functioning as the king. And so, um, I, I mean, really, in a lot of ways, like when they're when they're crowning him king and they're anointing him, I mean, it's it's a celebration and it's an acknowledgement of, I mean, 
who he really is already. I mean, isn't that interesting too? It says that it says you know, in verse three, you know, and King David made a covenant <laughs> with them, um, and they anointed David king over Israel. But he was already king. They were just acknowledging, really, in some ways, what was already true. Right, right. It, um, I'm trying to, you know, I, I'm trying to think of this in the realm of of um, of the church. And I, I, I'm, I'm a very simple guy, so I just there's these moments in church life where someone says, "I just can't believe it's happened," mm-hmm. you know that um, clearly people would have known there was a spat between Saul and David this whole time, and they would have known that there just doesn't quite seem to be something right with Saul here. This just doesn't seem to be working, and then they know yeah. there's conflict and all these things. And when you go, you know, when you're at a church or um, like we just had installation of a new pastor in ordination about a month ago, and you kind of just sat with some of the people and said, I just can't believe this day has happened. You know, mm-hmm. um, there are other times you have in church where you have a hundred year anniversary or something or, or uh, a new addition or, or uh, I don't know, just some of those, those moments where you'll hear that with people and you get that sense from everyone here is I can't believe that this has happened. And so there was that joy. David makes a covenant. They, they anoint him as king, even though he's already there. And just a reminder that the Lord is with us. And, and the author definitely affirms that. I mean, he points to the 40-year reign that he was there. Clearly, yeah. understanding the 40 years as being an important part of Scripture and showing that God's hand was on all of this. Yeah, well, so this is actually a little bit of an interesting thing that maybe we can talk about that really briefly here before we get into mm-hmm. our break. But, um, well, I mean, it's also interesting that the Dead Sea Scrolls lack these two verses, but we don't have to get into that if you don't want to. But but, <laughs> but just, talk, just talking about like just like the time, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Like uh, he reigns 40 years. Um, he was 30 years old when he began to reign. That's, I, I think, the, the beginning to reign when you're 30 is pretty suggestive, right? Like, there are some important people who start things at about the age of 30. Luke, of course, right, is the one who makes the mm-hmm. comparison to our Lord. Um, and, and then and in the 40 years, like you were saying, I mean, that's, uh, man, 40 years, that like, all, all the time, right? Um, I, I think in some ways he's just being presented here. I mean, this is sort of like the ideal human reign. I mean, like, can any king do better than, like, you know, he's 30 years old, and it's like it's time he's got the experience right like it's about as young as you can have all that experience and in 40 years it's like can you reign any longer than that i mean like i think the time yeah and there's a kind of just well that's just how the time adds up i guess but i think it's kind of this depiction of like this is like the ideal human reign this is the best a mortal man can do oh absolutely i mean you think about how tough it is for a president to be four years in america in (laughs) today's world and so for them to make it that long and you, and you continually see this theme throughout, shows how long he reigns. And Dr. Um, Steinman in his commentary just talks about how there's a wonderful intersection of all of this, pointing us back to Christ, pointing us to the promise then, and pointing to the promise now, and um, just goes down that list and shows us how God is continually reigning over this, and he works in a, a wonderful way. Um, looking looking at these and it doesn't go in a direct order and that's what's confusing a little bit in chapter five you kind of hear if you're going back and forth but you see that treasure right in the middle once again pointing us to that um like you said suggestive reign of christ and god's handiwork throughout scripture 
uh, certainly. Well, we there's there's more a little bit more we could say about that, but it's time for our breaks. Everybody, hold on. We're looking at Second Samuel chapter five here on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Thursday on Issues Etc. We'll get an introduction to the Augsburg Confession from Pastor Paul McCain. We'll respond to your email in the Issues Etc. comment line. Issues Etc. Reformation Week begins on Friday. The theme, Paths to Lutheranism. We'll talk with rapper Flame about his journey from Baptocostal and Reformed Baptist Calvinism. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. We live in Accra, Ghana, West Africa. We listen to KFUO through the internet. It's nice to listen to a church service going on here in the U.S., the music and the talk shows. It's been very uplifting, really encouraging. So thank you. Bringing the word of Christ to listeners around the world. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 5 today, joined by our guest, Pastor Brady Finnern, pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota, where they're already buried in snow, Lord have mercy. But it's warm inside by the fire. Gather around here. We're talking about a cool story here. We've got the anointing of David for the third time, and it's just happy this time, right? There's, <laughs> there's, there's no, this is, this is, maybe we should talk about that too. This is kind of, this is very much unlike the other anointings where uh, it's like, oh, well, that, 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 that kind of was disappointing. That wasn't what we had hoped for, right? This isn't the kingship I was promised, but, but this time it's like it sticks. Uh, if you've got any questions or comments for us, this is your opportunity here. If you've got a question or comment, you can give us a call. If you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Or you can post a comment on the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. Got a couple questions there. I want to talk about uh, why does it say that David's soul hates the Jebusites? It's a particular, it's an interesting little idiom right there. Um, and then another question, um, were the Philistines like doing really well or something while there was this turmoil and division uh, within Israel, between Israel and Judah? It's, uh, I, I, think, I mean, I'm thinking the answer has got to be yes, but we should kind of look into that. 
Um, I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org is their website. Thank you guys for supporting Thy Strong Word. So, brother, before the break, we were talking about uh, the the years a little bit, the time, and uh, you, you get this breakdown, and like we were saying, it's it's suggestive of uh, the, the Lord Jesus, right, who was, uh, you could say, anointed um, king in some ways, right, like right around when he was 30, um, it says in Luke, um, and he reigns, well, he doesn't reign 40 years, right, but he reigns, you know, forever. Okay, you can't. You, can't, you can only do that in English. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't. That doesn't work in Hebrew, right? Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, there's something to that, right? Like the forty years as a like a. Um, well, I don't know. Actually, like may, maybe you can um, spell that out for us. Like, like how 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 do you suppose forty is a kind of ideal number? And I mean, we just said how it's a it's a long time. It's about as, as long as you can, but. Is there anything else to that number 40, you think, in this context and how that might foreshadow Christ? I don't, you know, I really don't. I don't think we need to to uh, go into it a whole lot more besides the idea of the number 40 clearly pointing to God's handiwork, working with his people. You know, that, I guess that's where I would probably take it, leave it, give thanks and, and move on. You know, 40 days in the desert for Jesus and Forty years of the Israelites wandering, and, and but at the same time, us realizing very full heartedly that when things don't seem like they're going well, it is the Lord who's always in control. I get that's how I would probably take that and really dig yeah. into that and and thank God for that. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Um, I, I think that the uh, the other thing that might be worth mentioning for the number forty, especially for forty years. 40 years is reckoned as a generation. Um, it's kind of like your standard oh. definition, right? It, it's even like today, even like it's um, it, it's not like an uncommon yardstick. So to say that, you know, David reigns like a whole generation, I mean, it, it really is sort of in an intuitive sense, kind of as long as you're going to be able to reign um, when it's time then for the next generation to take over, um, certainly. But then, mm. which is actually, I think, important by itself, right? Because Saul seems to reign for too long. He, he, he goes past his expiration date, right? I mean, that's the problem, right? It's like, you no, know, so you need to step aside. But so David doesn't have this problem, right? He's going to reign for just the right amount of time. Um, and then by, by comparison, uh, the Lord Jesus reigns for all generations, right? And you have that language um, in the gospel too, like, you know, oh, you wicked generation, how long shall I be with you, right? And so the idea of after 40 years, about a generation— right? Uh, well, what happens? Well, the temple is destroyed in Jerusalem. All those predictions that the Lord made come true. And, you know, John sees from his perspective that this is like the moment where in a lot of ways you just you just see Christ coming into power, right? So I, I think that 40 years is is uh is, is is big in a lot of ways. But uh, yeah, I know you don't want to go crazy with, with the numerology stuff. Right. Well, and, you know, like you said, at the right time, you know, Christ died for the ungodly. I mean, it's just a—you're exactly right. This is a generation, God's people are together, and uh, they see God at work. So, yeah, that's good. I guess I I hadn't thought about that 40 years being a generation. I I knew it, but I had forgotten it, so that's helpful. 
Well, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things you could do, and um, I don't know. Like, there, there's part of me that wants to say also that, like, you know, after seven years in Hebron, it's like uh, after seven years, uh, Jacob is finally getting Rachel, right? You know, something like this. But <laughs> but okay, like we'll stop, we'll stop, we'll stop. You okay, gotta move on. Uh, <laughs> gotta move on. So um, okay, so let's talk about the Jebusites then, right? So we we haven't really heard about the Jebusites in a little bit. Um, I mean, we remember from Judges that. Not that we did judges ourselves, but like we, um, there was some mention of it in Joshua, um, that the Jebusites are just up there. It's just stubborn, right? Like no one's getting up there. It's, I mean, it's hard. They're like, they're literally up on a mountain. Um, and I think that has to do with why they're so confident, right? Um, they like, you know, I mean, this is an interesting thing that they say, uh, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off. I mean, I, I think it's like a, this is another one. This is more of this trash talk stuff, right? Like, like kind of like the way that Goliath did. Uh oh, mm. people trash talking David like Goliath. This will not turn out well for them, <laughs> uh, because they're 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 saying basically like, hey, we can like we can defend this city with a bunch of invalids because like there's no way you're getting up here, right? We can like man the walls with with people who can't see or walk and we will still beat you. Like this place is invincible, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's a, um, a wonderful narcissism that's there um, because they're in a fortified city. And there also is that realization that, you know what? You guys came in. This is from Joshua 10. You guys came in and you attacked, you got Jericho. You yeah. got a lot of those areas and you did not get us. That's right. So there's a generational understanding. It's kind of like, you know, kind of like a a rival town. You know, like, well, you know what? You guys had your best team in 1995, and you couldn't beat us then. You're not going to beat us now, you know? So there's definitely a lot of that. They see the big walls. They see the history. They see all of those things. And, like, this isn't going to happen. But the Jebusites, they probably had forgotten this, that God had promised, you know, in Deuteronomy— that, uh, you know, uh, you will take over the Jebusites. This is from Deuteronomy 7 and chapter t- and chapter 7 and chapter 20, where he just is very adamant that this is going to happen. It's going to happen under, under my, my time. And, uh, but yet all the, all the um, outliers, everything you could see said a different story. So here they are, these people who are very strong, stubborn, probably big, strong people, on a big, strong mountain in the Jerusalem, the place where really uh, we know that big things are going to happen there that didn't look like whatever is going to work. But David, fulfilling the promise, once again showing God's people that he was the anointed king to do what God needs him to do, goes in and and gets the job done, I guess you would say. Yeah, well, and we should talk a little bit about that. I mean, it's interesting here. It says here, let um, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind. So it seems like, I mean, this isn't going to like a lot of detail here, but it seems like David like uses a, a, I mean, some kind of clever strategy here where he's like using like the access to the city, like by the waterways or something like that. And and through that, he's able to to kind of like, I don't know. He fi- he finds the way in, which I I don't know if there's like I mean really because there's not that much detail around this right. So I don't know how much more can be said. The only thing that I think comes to mind is that there is another I think maybe maybe similarity between this and uh, chapter 17 of First Samuel with, da- with uh, David and Goliath because it says that David goes um, 
I think I think it says like he goes down to like the riverbed and like takes five smooth stones. So like there's this idea of I don't know if, if there's if there's something there, but like finding a way through the waterways. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. I you know all my reading commentaries really did not focus on that. It's kind of like well, it could have been done this way. Yeah. And and my interpretation of that is basically saying it should not have been able to be done, but yet it did, um, showing, you know, God's, uh, God's way of getting done what needs to be done, I guess you would yeah. say. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly it, it wasn't an obvious strategy because, I mean, I mean, I mean much like uh, how, you know, t- defeating David with a slingshot was not going to—not slingshot, but a shepherd's sling— was not an obvious strategy to, to employ, right. or else everyone would have right. done it. So, um, so you know, David does something unconventional, right? But he has the confidence that God's behind him. Um, what do you make of the comment about, uh, I don't know, this who are hated by David's soul, right? I mean, that's uh, that's an interesting way of talking about that. And, that, and then you get the kind of the, the, the comeback here, um, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house, like, uh, well, what, what does this mean, How that David hates them in his soul or something like this? You know, and I, I'm going to have to admit here, that's a great question to ask. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, God hates Esau, um, those kind of things. And, and I have to admit, I haven't looked into that part. I definitely overlooked that part. But clearly there is, a, um, obviously David doesn't like him. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, he, he's not a fan. Yeah. Well, no, that's fair. Fair enough. Well, okay. Let, let's, 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 this is dangerous, dangerous, but um, let's, okay. Let, let's look at this a little bit and just see if we can come up with something. Um, and so it says here, uh, okay. So it says here, attack the, the lame uh, and the blind, the, the blind and the lame. And then, and then you get this comment, and there's, of course, of course, there's textual uncertainty on the, on the participle here. How could there not be? Uh, <laughs> um, and and so, yeah, kind of depending on on how that's it's going to end up working out. I mean, like, so this is interesting because it's not it's not the standard word for en- enemies, right? Like, it's not just simply like the the enemies of of David's life or something like that, but. Um, I, I oh okay I, I guess I guess maybe some of the uncertainty is actually whether this is like the people who hate David's soul or the people that David's soul hates. Oh okay okay that's interesting. Yeah, because I mean, because if it is the soul of David, right? yeah, because because yeah. actually, yeah, no, because that's that's an interesting thing because it's like it's it's a weird um participle form and so if it's like kind of this weird like passive thing then you, you know you, you get the question then like so so is it like kind of like you know these people hated um by david's soul right or or is it like you know so that that's interesting then because i don't know i i mean you could just take it as like David has some reason for not liking them. Um, like one of our commenters on Facebook was saying, like you know, th- this wasn't very far from Bethlehem, right? So is it possible that like the Jebusites like raided Bethlehem one day when he was like growing up or something like that? He has a grudge against them or something. Um, when you also have in verse six that they are they're mocking him, like ah, you yeah. don't build. I mean, the blind and lame could argue, you guard this place. Yeah, 
you guys got nothing, you know. So I saw a commentary speak about that, that he was just reacting against their narcissism and their arrogance. It was kind of the – that's what I had read too, so. Yeah. Well, no, that, that, that's 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 well. I guess the thing that gets me though is the mention of soul, right? Because here, know, here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Because like we we've seen this before, <laughs> and like when when it came to Goliath, like the story with Goliath. I mean, like Jonathan's point was like you know David's risking his life to save ours, um, and and you and you see that kind of that, that idea at the beginning of the chapter. So it's like it, it seems kind of weird because like I guess if you say that it's David's soul that hates them um or even um if it's if it's they who hate david's soul i I think that you have to i think the most natural way of taking it is that there's some kind of like mortal danger for david it's like either they want him dead or david's got reason to think that uh I, i mean like it's a life or death thing here that that there's this situation with the jebusites and so like i'm not you know, I, I feel like in some ways maybe that just deepens the mystery. But like, I, I think like with the language of of soul, I, I think you got to take it as more than just like, hey, they called me a, a, a bad name. You know, they 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 called me lame and blind. I don't like them. Like, I, I think you got to take it as more than that. I, I think by the mention of like you know, nephesh, you know, which is your the life breath, your dying breath, I. I think you got to take it as more like either like, I don't know, like these guys have actually like put a hit on David or um, they nearly did kill David at some point earlier that we just don't know about. But I mean, I I think you got to take it as like, this is not just kind of, you know, David's first act as King is like a judge. Yeah. I think we should do it. (laughs) Good to me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, just don't know i just don't know yeah yeah i like the thoughts though <laughs> uh yeah only you know it, it's it, it's a it's an incomplete picture but um anyway so let's okay yeah. so moving on then it may be something that we can speak a little bit more to so one of the things that you get uh, here is is uh this picture of david's grandeur uh, in verse 10 he becomes greater and greater so, I mean, in some ways, that just kind of continues the picture that we saw earlier where the house of David grew greater and greater. The house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. I mean, so, uh, or even earlier before that, he grew greater and greater in the house of Saul. So you get that. And then the kind of the, the climactic moment then is in verse 11, that Hiram of Tyre goes and builds him a house. <laughs> so what, what do you make of this moment here? Well, that's and that's one of the mysteries, too, that you see is that obviously— People saw that he was doing good things. Um, Hiram, there's a lot of discrepancies and questions about here and Tyre and how this all fits into the whole story. But clearly, they see him as somebody who is from God, that they want to see him um, succeed, and so they build him a house. Um, but I guess my focus is more on verse 12, but if you want to talk more on verse 11, what do you got? Well, I mean, I think the two are, are linked together because, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the moment there where it says, you know, and, and David knew, right, that's right. not a, um, that's not like a sidebar comment, like, you know, hey, you know, he was a confident, he was confident in this or something like that. It's the, it's the consecutive form. So the the implication is that because uh, Hiram of Tyre builds in this house, that's confirmation 
that the Lord has established him as king over Israel. So, I mean, I think that it's significant for David. And uh, he looks at this and he's like, hey, look, like this is like a sign that God's giving me that, yeah, this really is his will. Right. Oh, good point. You know, I, I, I guess I didn't catch that. And and it's really quite fascinating to see, you know, finally David knows this. Obviously, the, the building of the house helps seeing other things to actually beat the Jebusite, kind of a yeah. little bit of a, a pride moment. But the key thing here knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel. Um, and now it became obvious. And then uh, that he was exalted. Why was he exalted? And I think um, this is an important thing for us, too, is, you know, why why did God give us those things at this time? Why didn't God give them at that time? But for him, why is he exalted? Why are these things happening for the sake of his people, Israel? Just another yeah. reminder that why is he king to serve his people? You know, why, why, why are pastors put into place to serve his people? Why are moms and dads put in their place to serve God's people? You know, just going down that whole list of understanding of the affirmation that God gives to David, or also the affirmations he gives to us vocationally um, in our jobs, in our churches. Why for the sake of God's people? And that, that 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 was quite striking. The verse 12, I kind of missed the <laughs> verse 11 connection. But definitely, why? For the sake mm. of God's glory and for the sake of his people. And I think that's a pretty profound point here. Um, and it's one that we should maybe pause a little bit on. Because, so, so I mentioned, you know, so David's been anointed, if I'm not forgetting something here, three times now, right? So he was anointed by mm-hmm. Samuel. Um, and that was, uh, I mean, like a very, like, small-scale anointing, right? Like it was... Um, Samuel, he goes to Bethlehem. He's kind of uh, sneaky about it, right? He's like, "Oh, I'm here to yeah. do sacrifices, right?" When he, and he does do sacrifices, so it's true. <laughs> but but he's he's also there to anoint the next king of Israel. Um, and it happens, and it says, you know, it, he anoints him in the midst of his brothers, which I think the the uh, the natural way of taking that is uh, in the midst of his fellow Bethlehemites. Um, then earlier in, in Second Samuel, it, we, we get the anointing by the elders of Judah. Okay, so a little bit bigger mm-hmm. circle now. Of course, when he's like, okay, now I'm king, and he you know uh, sends messengers to Jabesh Gilead, they're like, so uh, it's kind of awkward. Um, Ishbosheth was already anointed king over Israel. Um, so, so like both those previous times, it's, it's like, well, yeah, it's like, it's awkward. It's, it's disappointing. It's like, okay, God's anointed me King. And, and this is what I get, you know, like what's, what's going on here. This is a, this is a lemon. Uh, but, but here, right. The third, the third time he gets anointed and what happens? Hiram of Tyre comes and builds him a palace. I mean, this is, this is significant, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a good point. It's a, you know, and you look for those kind of um, affirmations of, of what we, you know, where is God at work in this whole thing? And that, and that comes true for David. I mean, what a, what a wonderful gift for him. And you pray for that for us, too, you know, especially when you're in COVID and you look at other things like, okay, God, give me, I guess, give me a sign is the wrong way to, to, to fully look at it. But in a certain sense, yeah. too, you know, what is God doing in the midst of everything? That surrounds us seems chaotic, and my past seems chaotic, but here we are once again affirmed that God is at work. Well, and and I think that yeah, that what you said is helpful there because I, I think we we can connect ourselves to David, and we we have a lot of sympathy with David, kind of 
having been on the journey that we've been on with them so far. And when we compare that, as you were saying, to our own vocations, we're like, hang on a second. If, if God really wants me to be doing this, or if God's really, you know, promised this for me or wants this for me, then why does it look like this, right? And, um, and, and so we could take, you know, verses 11 and 12 and say, hey, you know, clearly this just isn't working out. This isn't meant to be. This isn't God's will, because if God wanted this, he'd be blessing us with all kinds of prosperity, right? I mean, he'd be sending Hiram of Tyre to come build a palace, right? But, but look at this, you know, shack. Look at this, you know, pile of, you know, shambles. But, but, but I think then, like, like you were just getting at, though, like, yeah, while, while there is, like, to a certain extent, I mean, you see that even in the New Testament, right, where, um, if I'm not getting my wires crossed here, wasn't it, like, Gamaliel who said, hey, you know what, release the apostles, because, you know, I mean, if it's from if if this is a if this is a task from men right if this is a whole scheme of men it's going to fail but if it's if yeah. it's really the will of god well we can't stop him <laughs> you know, so right. so i mean if if it succeeds then it's it's god so i mean there's a certain level where that's true but i think david's story here is a helpful counterbalance because i mean hey the first two times he was anointed it looked like it was a dud i mean it looked like it just fizzled like i guess the anointing didn't work right like i mean he was he got sent into exile like you know like he was a uh, you know chased after his life there was another king in the north i mean so i, I think that's a balance because hey don't go expecting that you know god's going to i don't know i, I mean i mean send the king of tyre on the first go round <laughs> right right exactly and and what it really um, leads us to is when you're looking at um, two places, first of all, when he's fighting the Philistines, that like you're talking about, the Philistines obviously had some manpower because they keep attacking. You know, they just kind of keep going after things here. But you, you see the, the implications for David that he truly saw this coming from God because you see him while he's looking to fight the Philistines, that he is praying you know, that he prays to the Lord for guidance, looks to the Lord to help him. And that's the same thing when we look at the Psalms, that in the midst of all these trials, he goes into a cave and he and he's like sitting there and he's right next to Saul. Should I destroy this guy? That you, you see all these prominent Psalms, which I mean, that'd be a whole nother um, show. Just talk about the prayer of Psalms and, and where this connects us to the Bible is, uh, is that what did David do? knowing that the Lord was with him, um, he would pray, and God yeah. would answer his prayers. And that's just a, a reminder for us, too, that that David, although all the trials and, and problems and issues that surround him, God blessed him, obviously, with that palace, blessed him with more family, and it shows us, once again, how should a king act um, when he need help? How should we act as Christian people? Praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, what should I do here? Please help me. You know that that's a really uh that's a that's a great comparison, right? Just to be looking at you know here's David's kind of first campaign against the Philistines, and you're right, he's asking God for help, and God's answering, and and he's uh and it's interesting too, right? Like the first time he's like God's like yeah go up, second time's like God God's like eh, no 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 don't do it like that, do this other thing, <laughs> which is fascinating then because he doesn't force the issue then and say like. No, no, I think I'm going to stick with my idea, right? Like, can we shake the magic right. eight ball again, right? Like, it, it, he doesn't. Like, he actually shows submission there, which is a strong contrast with uh, Saul's last campaign against the Philistines, right? Where he's, like, marching up from uh, Jezreel, and they're marching out to meet him from Aphek, and it's a disaster, and the night before he consulted a medium, right? I mean, that's a pretty strong juxtaposition. 
Ooh, yeah. No, you're right. And 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 this is where David really does relate. I mean, this is why I'm I'm really wanting to do a Bible study in First and Second Samuel is because we can relate with David when everything goes through his life that he has all these trials, he has these victories, and he has these horrible times, and he has um, he falls and he proclaims I and mean, he gets forgiveness given to him and he goes through his life. And even at the end of his life, he's kind of proclaiming judgment on somebody that all of it shows us that God's grace comes upon sinners like David and therefore upon us. And that's what makes all of this, um, because the story doesn't end with his anointing, doesn't end with him being the, being the Philistines, is that it continues on, and there's ups and downs and arcs and, and uh, you know, infidelity and all these things showing us that's my life. You know, there's ups and downs and in-betweens and darkness that surrounds us and, and fear of war and everything. But yet, at the end of it, he prays to the Lord, and it reminds us that the Lord is my shepherd, as he says in Psalm 23. And so I, that's what... That's why David is such a great um, person, a real person in history that really comes at us and shows us the grace of God. Shows us the grace of God and then also the the supremacy of God. I think that's one of the the big ideas, I think, just kind of last minute here. But, um, you know, Baal Perazim, right? Like, he, he t- they relate that name to the word for breaking. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, breaking—well, um, I mean, this is sort of interesting because uh, you, you would take it as— uh, you know, Baal, right, referring to the Lord, right, where Baal means Lord. Um, but you, you see that, like, with the Philistines' idols being left on the battlefield and carried away and taken off, right, that God's uh, supreme oh, yeah. over all things. He's not going to be thwarted here. Right, right. And I love it, too, in First Chronicles, this is a connection, chapter 14, is they didn't just carry them away, they burned them. Yeah. Just a reminder of that not only do you take them away, but God is in control. That's right, and that's a helpful reminder for us. It is, in fact, AD 2020, and the Savior reigns for all generations. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, I hope that the snow backs off a little bit. (laughs) Looking forward to having you on again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Everybody, Pastor Brady Finner, Messiah Sartell, Minnesota. Till next time, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.